As we approach the Thanksgiving holiday, many of us are turning our attention to the theme of gratitude. Some of you have seen or participated in the 21 Days of Gratitude Challenge. Others of us have written down reasons for our gratitude or committed to be more grateful in the new year. I found myself reflecting on the theme of gratitude just last week. I was sitting with my children, waiting for them at their piano lesson. And each of them, as they started their lesson, it began with the piano teacher complimenting them on how well they had played at their recent group class. She said to each one of them, both kids, separately, oh, you did such a great job at your group class, I can tell you've been practicing, you did so well. And both kids, without missing a beat, paused, looked up, and said absolutely nothing. Somewhat embarrassed, I was whispered, tempted to whisper across the room, say thank you. <laughs> For the next hour, I was caught in the throes of a semi-parenting crisis, questioning the skills and the attitude I was cultivating in my young children. Are Corey and I failing at something this important? Have we given them too much? Are our kids ungrateful? There's no doubt in my mind that if the teacher had said something they didn't like, they would have been equipped with all kind of attitude, body language, and even maybe a crossword. I said crossword, not curse word. I'm still working on my kids, but in today's gospel, we're reminded of the orientation that we all need in order to be people of gratitude. In Luke's gospel, Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem near the border of Samaria and Galilee. And as he approached, ten men with leprosy began calling out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And the Bible says that Jesus saw them. He saw the men covered in scaly sores. He saw their blistered feet, their torn clothes, their matted hair. He saw men who'd been isolated from their families, rejected by their friends, and scorned by the community. He saw them standing on the sidelines of society, desperate for someone to take pity on them. Jesus saw them. When others made them invisible, Jesus saw them, and Jesus sees us. When we feel invisible, he sees us. In a city of eight million people, he sees us. On a packed and crowded subway car, he sees us. He sees the pills and the pain, the drinks and the depression, the tears and the torment. Jesus sees you. When others look away, he sees you. When you're wondering how you're going to get through this holiday season, he sees you when your friends don't answer the phone, respond to your text, like your Facebook post. Jesus sees you. And not only does he see us, but he calls us to see one another. He wants us to see the pain that others feel to recognize those who are standing on the sidelines. See that brother sleeping in a self-made tent on the sidewalk. See that girl who's being sexually abused and nobody believes her. See that teenager who was shot in a routine traffic stop. See people. You likely saw the headlines this week that GQ named Colin Kaepernick its Citizen of the Year. 
And there were commentators and journalists complaining about this. They just couldn't see why GQ would choose him. There were other athletes doing good work, they said. But the unfortunate reality is that many of the same people who fail to see why Kaepernick is citizen of the year also fail to see the money he gives to charity. They fail to see the racism that plagues our country. They fail to see the impact of our criminal injustice system on black and brown communities. People are crying out. People are asking for help. People are demanding justice. People are demanding to be seen. And it's time to open our eyes and see their plight. See the people God sees. See the causes God sees. See the injustice God sees. Jesus saw them. Not only did Jesus see them, Jesus spoke to them. Jesus said to these 10 lepers, go and show yourselves to the priest. And that's it. That's all he said. No more instructions. Unlike Naaman in the Old Testament, Jesus didn't tell them to bathe in the Jordan. He didn't tell them to witness about their healing. He didn't even ask for an offering. Just show yourselves to the priest. Under Levitical law, only a priest could allow them back into their communities. The priest would have to examine the lepers and make sure they were completely healed from the disease. The priests were the gatekeepers to keeping these communities safe from this infection, infectious disease. The priest could say, yes, you're in, or no, you're out. So before any healing was evident, Jesus sent them to be approved. And I just want to pause here and say that sometimes God will send you to do something that you don't understand. God will ask you to do something that doesn't make good sense. Why is God telling you to leave that corporate job and be a teacher? Why is God calling you to start a nonprofit? Why is God calling you to move your family to the other side of the world? It's often the case that when God calls us to something, the reason is not clear. Other people might think that we're just talking crazy, but don't worry about what other people think. When God says, go, you go. So the lepers are on their way. And as they're walking, they notice that something is different. Their bodies are starting to change. They looked at their hands, and their hands looked new. They looked at their feet, and their feet did too. And I imagine they began praising God. This healing was perhaps unexpected, maybe undeserved, certainly unearned, but it was by God's grace that they were healed. There may be someone in here today who senses that something different is happening in you. Your faith has increased, your attitude has improved, your patience has grown. But before you go thinking that it's because of your hard work and all that you've done, may I remind you that you are who you are and you are where you are only because of God's grace. Is there anybody in this room who knows that your dashing didn't look, good looks didn't get you here, your charm and charisma didn't get you here, your high IQ didn't get you here, you're here today because of grace. When your spouse left you, grace kept you. When your friends forgot about you, grace kept you. When your bank account was empty, grace kept you. When you lost that big job, grace kept you. When drugs should have taken your mind, grace kept you. 
I'm standing here today only because grace and mercy have been following me all the days of my life. Jesus saw them and he told them to go. And Luke records that as they were traveling, one noticed this change and decided to turn back. Now, all of my life, I've heard preachers give the other nine a hard time. And I have to confess, I've done it too. But they were just doing what Jesus told them to do. Jesus said, go to the priest, so they went to the priest. And who knows how long they had been away from their communities. Was it six months? Was it a year? Was it five years? Perhaps they'd been away from loved ones for so long that they were hurrying back and they wanted to give thanks in the temple and go home. The nine continued toward the priest, but one turned back. And when this man returned, we learn that he is a Samaritan. When all of the lepers, when all of them were outcasts, the Bible says that they had one identity and one voice. The distinction between Jew and Samaritan did not matter, but now that they're healed, we learned that one was part of a group even more marginalized than Palestinian Jews. Now that they're healed, they're no longer one group. They no longer have one voice. The Jews have gone one way and the Samaritan another. We often will stick together when we're down and out. But once we make it, how many of us distance ourselves from those who were on the bottom with us? When the pilgrims came to this land and when Italian and Irish and Eastern Europeans came to this land, nobody cried, build a wall. But when Hispanic and Latino sisters and brothers come, when Middle Eastern and North African folks come, now we want a border around our nation. How quickly have we forgotten that at some point all of us were the outsider? It took the Samaritan to recognize who Jesus was. It took the Samaritan to realize that God was out there in the border just like God was in the temple. The one who wasn't even a second-class citizen, but the one who was a show-nuff outsider, a Samaritan leper in a Jewish leper colony. There's something to be learned from outsiders. People locked out of spheres of influence, preyed on as public pinatas, demonized because of their difference. But many outsiders possess a hermeneutic of hope that transcends the halls of power and the reach of the oppressor. As a black woman in America, I'm part of a community of outsiders. The testimony of my ancestors from chattel slavery to Jim Crow demonstrated how outsiders see Jesus as a transcendent liberator. Outsiders see Calvary as a place higher than the auction block, higher than Capitol Hill, higher than the White House. And if you're an outsider today, know this. God is on your side. God is on the side of the outsider and the oppressed. Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman were outsiders who moved Lincoln Cesar Chavez was an outsider who moved the labor movement. Edith Windsor was an outsider who moved marriage equality. Jesus was an outsider who moved the world. Outsiders, people with an alternative vision for our world. But lest we get caught up in looking down on the ones who did not turn back, 
the question we all need to ask ourselves is how often have we turned back? How often have we helped someone to show God that we are grateful? It's good if we praise God for what God has done, but it's Christ-like if we turn back and go help somebody else. When was the last time we helped those who get treated like modern-day lepers? An addict who just can't break the habit, a high school dropout that everyone has counted out, a teenage mother with a baby and no support, an ex-con who can't catch a break because of his record. When was the last time we went back and helped somebody? There's a story of a woman And this woman came to church one Sunday and she sang and she praised God and she said, Lord, I thank you for my new car. When the service was over, she walked out the door, down the block, jumped on the bus and went home. The next Sunday she came back. Lord, I thank you for my new car. When the service was over, she walked out the door, down the block, got on the bus and went home. The third Sunday she came back. Lord, I thank you for my new car. When the service was over, she walked out the door down the block, but she had missed the bus. And her pastor came out. And the pastor said, Sister, what are you doing here? Why haven't you been driving your car? Why are you waiting on the bus? Is it because the car is so new and so nice you don't want the rest of us to feel bad? No, pastor, that's not it. Is it because there's not enough parking outside the churches? That why you don't drive it? No, pastor, that's not it. Well, is it because the car is being customized and you're getting the best speakers and seat warmers and all the bells and whistles for this car? No, pastor, that's not it. Well, what is it then? Why aren't you driving this car? You're thanking God, but not driving the car. And the sister said, well, pastor, I'm not driving the car because I don't have it yet. Well, why are you thanking God for something you don't have? And the sister said, because I already know that God is going to provide what I need. You see, when I was in prison, God made a way. And when my child was in trouble, God made a way. And when my job was eliminated, God made a way. And now God is calling me to go help other women who've been in prison. But the prison is two hours away and I can't get there without a car. So I'm thanking God right now because God knows what I need. And brothers and sisters, I'm just here to tell you that even if you don't have what you need, thank God anyway. Even if you're waiting on God to move in your life, thank God anyway. If your problems seem insurmountable, thank God anyway. You may not know what all God has done for me, and I don't know the details of what God has done for you, but I'm looking around this sanctuary and I can see that you've been blessed. There are some grateful people all over this building. And Thanksgiving is an opportunity to stop and reflect on what God has done, but most of us don't have to think that hard. And if you take a moment just now, you can remember all of the goodness of God in your life. And so I invite you right now, right here in this sanctuary, right in this moment, join your voice with mine. Take a moment just now and tell God, thank you.